Amen. Today we celebrate God's grace that is extended to us every day. Sometimes I think we take it for granted, but really God has been very, very good to us. And uh, we ought to always be aware of His grace. Uh, Every time you experience something good, know that His grace is being extended to you. Every time you experience something that would be less than desirable, I would even encourage you to know that His grace is being extended to you, for He is faithful. And regardless of what we experience today or tomorrow, He will still be faithful. Uh, That's a part of his grace that's extended to us. How many of you guys, I assume everybody here knows what this is. This is a walkie-talkie that um, you can do all kinds of things with it. Have you ever tried to use one of these with someone who perhaps they had never used one before? Uh, It can happen sometimes with children. Actually, it can even happen with adults. But uh, can you imagine trying to teach a child how to use something like this and the frustration that can build up as they try to figure it out? Uh, Sometimes you have that individual who uh, they forget to turn it on. This is turned off right now because there are walkie-talkies being used around the building. Uh, But sometimes they're trying to talk or you're trying to listen and not really sure why you can't hear anything. It's because it's turned off. Then you have the individual who they talk into it and they forget to push the button. Or they'll do it the other way around. They'll push the button and then they'll talk, and as they wait for your response, they're still holding down the button, not sure why you're not responding. Then you have the individual who they will push the button to talk, and about halfway through the sentence, they'll let go of it, and you have no idea what they were trying to say. This can be a great tool for communication, but it can also be something that is useless, useless if not used correctly. The same is true in regard to prayer. It is a communication tool which God has granted us that can be a real blessing when used as directed. But used incorrectly, it can become a source of frustration and fails to accomplish the intended purpose. I want to read a passage of scripture to you. Richard read it to you earlier, but I just want to make sure we're on the same page. It comes from Matthew chapter 6 verses 5 through 13, and actually I only had him read through, um, I think it was verse 10, because then we get into the, uh, actually he read through verse 9, then we get into the Lord's Prayer, and I want you to hear that this morning as well. This is what it says in Matthew 6, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, They have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, that is from the NIV. It is a little bit different in the King James Version. And we'll actually use the King James Version a little bit later in the service. As many of you know, several years ago, my wife and I had a troubled pregnancy. We knew from the outset that the best thing for us to do was to pray. 
We believe that God could work miracles. He could work through the prayers of God's people. And we sought his miraculous power to bring about healing in this child. Imagine the disappointment and the doubt that would rise up when God chose not to act in the way that we had asked. Did prayer really matter? Did God care? Was he even there in the first place? Did we do something wrong in the way that we had prayed? Did we not have enough faith? I'd be lying if I said that I didn't ask those questions during that time. Perhaps it disappoints you to hear that your pastor would ask such questions, but I did. Before you think that I'm wavering on my faith, let me declare to you today that I know that my God is faithful. I know that he was there and that he heard every one of those prayer requests, but sometimes his ways are simply higher than my ways. And I have to trust that he truly does have my best interest in mind. I'm not wavering in my faith. His faithfulness and love have been faithful all throughout the years, and it will continue to do so. I was listening to the radio yesterday, and the great theologian Garth Brooks was singing a song about thanking God for unanswered prayers. The truth is, God is faithful even when there are unanswered prayers. Let me say that it was right for us to pray during that time. In the midst of our great trial, we sought out many specialists and many experts and their opinions. We saw many great doctors, but the greatest hope that any of us have is found in Jesus Christ. It made sense for us to pray. Where medicine and technology have limits, we have discovered that absolutely nothing is impossible with God. So it just made sense to pray. Laying aside this incredible hope in these doctors, knowing that we have something much greater in the great physician. But I'll also say that not all prayers are done in a way that honors God or produces the desired result. Like these walkie-talkies that fail to serve their intended purpose, let's look at a few of the communication difficulties that arise in prayer. First, we are sometimes on the wrong frequency. Our passage begins today by mentioning hypocrites who love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. There are a couple of issues that arise out of this statement. The first deals with what is meant by a hypocrite. A term, the term hypocrite is derived from a Greek word which means actor or a pretender. In other words, we're talking about someone who pretends to be something that they are not. What's interesting here is that these pretenders look very righteous. They look like God-fearing men, yet God sees their heart. Let me suggest that the root of hypocrisy is always the heart. Often we see the damage that's done because of hypocrisy, and that's when we begin to recognize that someone may be living as a hypocrite. Yet truly, it is what happens in the heart that really determines who an individual is. It's not that all, all that different from Cain's sacrifice to God. 
If you remember the story of Cain and Abel, as uh, Cain and Abel both brought a sacrifice before God, God was pleased with one sacrifice and displeased with the other. It's not as if God liked meat better than vegetables, so that's not the reason God was pleased with one and not the other. But rather, God looked at the heart of Cain and Abel, and he saw one who came before God with a sincere and pure heart. And he saw one who came with a broken heart. And when I say broken, I don't mean sad. It simply was not the way it was intended to be. It was an immoral heart. God received Abel's sacrifice, but he rejected Cain's sacrifice because he saw the immorality that was present. By the way, remember, God sees the heart. and Nobody nobody else would have looked and seen Cain and thought, you know, this is an ungodly man. He looked righteous, yet God knew he wasn't. God's accuracy would be proven true as Cain would turn around and kill his own brother Abel. But it began with a heart issue. Many who attend church on a weekly basis can relate probably fairly well to Cain, even though we may not like to admit it. For we look righteous and we may even offer prayers, but our heart is not right with him. And what happens when your heart is not right is that you sometimes find yourself praying for the wrong things and with the wrong focus. Specifically in this passage, the reason for the prayer is for public recognition. These are people who simply want the world to know how spiritual they are. No doubt there are many other reasons why people seek the Lord in prayer. But perhaps the greatest question is not why men desire to pray, but why God desires us to pray in the first place. Know that you were created in God's image, and he longs for nothing more than an active relationship with you, an intimate relationship with you. He wants to converse with his prized possession, his prized creation. He wants your raw, vulnerable, and honest thoughts He knows them already. It's it's not as if he doesn't know who you are and he doesn't know what you need. In the passage that was read earlier, it declares that he knows even before we ask. So why does he want us to pray in the first place? Because he wants that interaction with us. He wants a relationship with his people. He wants us to be comfortable enough with him that we would be willing to reveal our own hearts to him. I think that at times we've diminished prayer to nothing more than a wish list or a formal conversation, a ritual of sorts, where we have to say certain things to make it an official prayer. When in reality, all God wants is a conversation. He wants to know that he became the priority for you to talk with him. Well, then we're on the, when we're on the wrong frequency... The only way to fix it is for us to tune in to the right frequency. And the good news is that Jesus tells us exactly how to do that. He says that we should go into our room. Now, you may have a special room or a closet where you pray. I actually have some friends. They have what they call their prayer closet, and they will occasionally go in there. Actually, it's not occasionally. It's on a fairly regular basis. They will go in there and take their time. All the distractions are gone. It's just them and God. Many of you probably saw the movie that came out a couple years ago, War Room. Great depiction of something like that, where individuals are simply pushing aside all the distractions and getting alone with them and 
God. Let me suggest it's not about a room or a closet so much as it is about being able to focus on the one true living God. It's, it's being able to turn off all of the other things that are going on. And if you're like me, man, there are times you start to pray and, Lord, would you please do this? Thank you for moving in my life. And, man, I really got to get that done. And all of a sudden, your mind starts to wander to all the other things that you got to do, all the other things that are going on in your life. And there are times that it is beneficial for us to simply push aside all of the distractions and to fix our eyes solely on Jesus Christ. And when we do that, that's when that truly intimate prayer can take place. I'm not going to tell you that you need to set aside a closet in your house. But I am going to tell you, you need to be very intentional to have time alone with God. Where there aren't other voices calling out to you. Take your phone, turn it off. Leave it and go in the other room. For me, when I was in college... I had a roommate, so it was really hard to get that alone time. It seemed like every time I turned around, he was in there. So I used the shower for my alone time. I took really long showers, but I didn't have anybody else in there. Find whatever avenue it takes to get alone with God, where you can simply talk with him and experience his intimacy. That's what he desires in the first place. It's great that you can say that I prayed this morning and I said all the things that I'm supposed to say. We have specific prayers. We have our morning prayer and we say it in a specific way just about every morning. We get ready to eat and we have this prayer that we pray and you could almost have your kids or your family members quote it because you say the same thing every time because it's almost like a ritual. God says, I just, I want to be able to talk. Sometimes I think that we have diminished prayer and we have lost out on the fact that God desires us simply to converse with him. By the way, this is exactly what Jesus did himself. He modeled it for us. Prior to his earthly ministry, Jesus got alone for 40 days, frequently following big events or sometimes even leading up to big events. We see him get alone for prayer right after the feeding of the 5,000 would be a great example. On the night of his arrest, where he would be arrested and then eventually crucified, Jesus separated himself from everyone else simply to pray to the Father. What a great model for us that we too need that intimate prayer with our God. I remember years ago while serving at a church in Colorado Springs, I was at a youth pastor's conference in Charlotte, North Carolina. While I know that I probably should have been at each of the seminars, honestly, I just needed to get away. So I decided to step out and I've missed one of the seminars um, I wandered through the streets of Charlotte. Uh, it wasn't a room, but in this case, I was alone because even though there were a million people around me, there were people I didn't know and I could just walk and nobody stopped to talk. And I began to pray and ask God to simply reveal his will for me. Um, that walk turned into about a three-hour walk and I like to walk, but that was a long walk. By the time I got back, I called my wife and I said, hey, I just want you to know I really feel like God is calling me to be a senior pastor. I'd been in youth ministry for a little more than 10 years at that point, and God used that alone time, that intimate alone time, to express his will to me. I look back, man, that was one of the most valuable walks I've ever taken in my life, simply because I got alone with God. 
let me challenge you and encourage you to do the exact same thing. There are many ways for us to get alone. Maybe for you there is a special room that you go to. Maybe it's a place like the Potter's Place. It's locally just off the SWU campus. There are all kinds of places. Maybe for you it's in your car. I have troubles doing it in my car because other people do things and sometimes I get frustrated with them. Maybe for you that works. Find that place where you can get alone with God. Speaking of listening to God, Jesus identifies one of the problems that so often plague the prayer life of others. He says that they tend to go on hoping that because they used many words, because they babbled, because they said it in many different ways, that somehow there is a greater likelihood that their prayer will be answered. What he wants, though, more than anything, is for us to listen, not to speak. Again, it's nice for us to say that we prayed But what if God had a message for you? He calls on us to turn on our listening ears. Don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with us speaking to God. There's nothing wrong with asking for things that are needed in our lives. Nothing wrong with us realizing our brokenness that exists within our current circumstances and seeking God. In fact, James 4.2 says that you have not because you ask not. He does desire for us to come before him and to ask. So please do, but listen as well. It's kind of like when you see your kids going through uh, typical teenage struggles As a parent, you've been there and you know what it's like and you try to give advice and then you get the response from their kids. You just don't understand. And in their mind, they can't imagine that you were once there. And what you're telling them is probably exactly what they need to hear. But the listening ears aren't turned on. I wonder if at times we come before God and we ask for his guidance and his wisdom. We want him to make clear what his plan is for us. And then we basically hang up the phone before he has a chance to answer. I believe that God wants his people to listen. Not just to go on and on saying the same things over again. Thinking that by saying more words, somehow he is more likely to answer. Actually, by stopping and listening you are more likely to hear his answer. Often we have done the right thing by going to God, yet we fail to listen for his response. I realize that sometimes we'll listen and God doesn't seem to respond in the way that we'd like. Or maybe we don't hear his voice at all and I could go on and on for an hour just talking about this particular thought and why it happens. What I will briefly say is that God always answers. It may be through a circumstance that arrives shortly after we pray, a scripture that you read, or maybe through that still small voice, but God is always faithful to answer. But he will speak. Psalm 27 verse 14 says, For us to wait on the Lord and to be of good courage, for he will strengthen your heart. If we will wait, he will be there and he will be there to strengthen us and to encourage us. And he does so by answering us. Trust him. He will speak. Jesus then goes on to give us a model for prayer. It's often referred to as the Lord's Prayer. And over the years, this has become somewhat 
ritualized as it has been prayed in church services, business meetings, political venues, and even football games. I remember as a high school football player, prior to every game, the coaches would gather everyone together and they would give us the game plan and they would cuss at us and yell at us and then say, all right, let's pray. Seemed a little bit ironic at the time. But then we would pray. Typically someone else would come in, a local pastor. We would pray and then we would say the Lord's Prayer, all of us together. But the Lord's Prayer is intended to be more than just a ritual. It is a model for us as we pray. In the King James Version, it says, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now we used to pray that at the end of just about every service. Later today we will pray that at the end of our service. But let me take just a moment to break down what is being said within it. Because I don't want it to just be a ritual. I don't want it to just be empty words for us. It helps us to understand what the prayer is truly about. Remember, as we look at this, this is all about God. He is the source of our hope. And He must be the centerpiece of our prayer. It's not about us. It's about Him. The first thing that we must do is we must recognize the source. He is a holy God and is truly our privilege for us to be able to come before him. Remember that he created everything, yet he chooses to welcome us into his presence. He knows the way mankind was supposed to be all along, without sin, perfect, pure, holy. Yet we are far from it. Yet he still welcomes us into his presence. What an incredible privilege that is for us. When I think about that, my mind goes back to Isaiah, who had a vision of the Lord, who was high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple with God's glory. And he cries out to the Lord, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. In this moment, Isaiah is realizing he is in the presence of a holy God and he doesn't deserve to be there. Let me tell you, every time you have the privilege of praying, you are in the presence of a holy God and you do not deserve to be there. But as with Isaiah, God makes a way for us to come to him. What a privilege that is to know that we have an audience with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he has made it possible for us to come to him and to be able to communicate openly, to talk with him, to listen to him. Never forget the source of prayer. He is the one that we look to. He is the one that we call upon. This leads us to the next item in this prayer. As we remember and recognize the source, we can also trust the source. Placing our needs in God's hands is always the best place to put our needs. But the phrase that brings trust into play here is when he says, Thy will be done. 
I admit that at times I have prayed for God to act in a particular way only to find that God had a different plan for me and my circumstance. The question is, do I really trust God with my circumstance? I know that he's able to do anything, but if I really trust him, if I really believe your will be done, then I have to be okay if he chooses to do things different than the way I ask. It doesn't mean that I'm going to like it. It just means that I know that he has a better plan for me even than I have for myself. It means that I trust that regardless of what I want, I know he wants the best for me. The third lesson in this prayer is that we can always depend on the source. In the Lord's Prayer, we are encouraged to pray for our daily bread and then even to seek forgiveness for our trespasses. It seems a bit odd to combine these two items together, but it actually makes a lot of sense when you begin to think about it. They both are seeking a provision from God that God alone is truly able to grant us over and over again. One is physical, the other is spiritual, but God is the giver of both. Consider Psalm 85 verse 12, where we read, The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Or consider Romans 8.32, which says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. The point is that it all comes from him. Doesn't it make sense to ask him for it? Likewise, the forgiveness of sins is something that only God can truly give. Remember the story of the paralytic who was brought to Jesus. Jesus had been preaching and tons of people filled this house where Jesus was. And these four friends bring their friend to Jesus. So crowded they can't get in. So they climb up on the roof and they tear a hole in the roof and they begin to lower their friend down on a mat. And Jesus very easily could have looked upon their faith and said to him, Son, get up and walk. But he doesn't do that. Well, he does eventually. But actually what he says is, Son, your sins are forgiven. The moment that he makes that statement, there is a murmuring, a rumbling that begins to take place. As this murmuring begins to take place, there is an objection. People ask, who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, you guys know the rest of the story. Jesus knows what they're murmuring and complaining about. He knows what's going on in their hearts and he basically says, hey, so that you can believe that the Son of Man truly does have the power to forgive sins, which is easier for me to tell him that his sins are forgiven or to tell him to get up and walk? Now, that's a rhetorical question. He knew the answer and they did too. Who can verify that this guy's sins are forgiven? But you know what? You'll be able to know whether this guy was really healed. Jesus says, but so that you will know that I do have the authority to forgive sins, I say to you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately, he gets up, 
I don't know if it was immediate. He probably got up and gave a big hug to Jesus. He might have ran and jumped a little bit, hugged some other people too, went and found his four friends and gave them a big hug. There was a moment of celebration. And the people knew that this man had been healed by God. But Jesus actually addresses very clearly, even within their objection, no one has the authority to forgive sins but Jesus Christ alone makes sense for us to go before him and seek his provision, specifically in this case, the provision for the forgiveness of sins. And finally, in this prayer, we can also follow the source. In this prayer, we are seeking his guidance as we pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Walking in the footsteps of Jesus Christ is the safest path for us ever to walk. As you know, we had some snow this week, and it wasn't really a big snow, but we had some snow. I took Michael out, and we um, actually we had a, an appointment in Easley on, I guess it was two, uh, Wednesday morning, and that was when all the snow fell. And we get out of the car, and we're walking in, and I look back, and I'm so excited to see, and it seems so simple, but as a dad, you think it's so cool. I look back and my son is stretching to make sure that every footstep he takes lands where my feet had stepped before. Do you know that is exactly what God desires for us? That we would walk in his footsteps, walk in his path. The only way to do that truly is to seek his heart and to know him. We must be people who pray and seek God's will for us in this life. I will guarantee you, every person in this room, God has a plan for you. You are here for a reason. God has a purpose for your life. And the best thing for you to do is to seek His will for that. I can't tell you what God's plan is for you, except that He wants to have you in His presence for all eternity. That's the only thing I can tell you. What I'll tell you, is that he has a plan for you even now. Maybe someone sitting beside you today needs you to be their hope, to bring them to the hope of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's someone in your home. Maybe there's a circumstance that sits around the next corner that it may seem too big for you, but through the power of Jesus Christ, he's going to use you to change this world. I want to challenge you to seek the Lord in prayer. As we continue here, I want to close us with a word of prayer, but as I do so, I want to challenge you in two specific ways. First of all, I want to challenge you to make it a priority to find your place to get away and pray. Be intentional to pray. For you, maybe you've already got this place and go to it. Maybe it's been a while since you've been in that place to pray where you've just gotten alone with him. Be intentional to pray. The second thing I'll challenge you with is I encourage you to daily pray the prayer that we're about to pray, the Lord's Prayer, where we simply say, God, it's about you, and I trust you, and I want you to forgive me. I need you to provide for me, and I need you to lead me everywhere that I go. If you will make that a part of your daily prayer life, and again, it may be very simple, and I don't want it to just be a ritual, but I will guarantee you it will change the heart of prayer. 
Because then we begin to look to the one who actually called us to pray in the first place. I was talking with uh, uh, some folks this week and we were talking about our prayer habits and we were talking about how often we pray and how rarely we pray. And the reality is people pray more often than they read scripture. Statistically speaking, a book by George Barner that I've been reading identifies some of that. But even this issue of prayer, it's something that we use very infrequently. I'm not talking about praying before your meal. Remember, that's sometimes nothing more than a ritual. Pray before your meal. I'm still encouraging you for that. But my point is that we're not supposed to pray just every once in a while. We're actually called to pray without ceasing, to pray continually. I believe that's what God desires for you and for me. I'm going to close this with prayer, and then together we will pray the Lord's Prayer. Father, we thank you for the privilege of coming into your house today. Lord, I do pray that you would challenge us, that we would truly be able to pursue you in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would discipline us, that we would make it a priority in our lives and not something that we turn on and off based on the circumstances that we experience today, but rather that it would become something that naturally flows out of us. Give us a heart for you. Help our prayer lives to be more than a ritual, more than something we do, but help it to become a part of who we are. Lord, I pray that you would help us to seek your face above all else, to know you better than we even know ourselves, and we know that we discover that through prayer. Now as a church, I invite you all to pray with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning and go in peace.